My precious brothers and sisters, what a joy it is for me to be here with you standing tall on the platform that some short person must use regularly on Sunday morning. <laughs> I don't know if you saw me processing down the aisle, but I am six feet tall and I don't need Will Willimon's platform. <laughs> My gracious hostess, Deborah Brazell, and Gary Scott, the members of the choir, the members of the congregation, my brothers and sisters in Christ, those who aren't and maybe want to be, those who are not and don't want to be, those who just came to church this morning because it's the thing to do. I really am delighted to be with you and to share the word of our God with you. If you will permit me, I'd like to continue reading just another portion in Romans, the eighth chapter. I got excited when I read it, and I decided that I wanted to preach from the whole chapter. But I promise I won't take more than 15 or 20 minutes. I understand if you preach too long that people begin to get antsy. In the 28th and 30th verses, we find these words. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Pray with me. God, thank you for this word and for this sweet opportunity to preach. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in thy sight, because you alone, O oh God, are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Over the last couple of years, it seems that my life has been inundated with crisis, one right after the other. You've heard the saying, when it rains, it pours, and I tell you the truth, it's been raining cats and dogs in my world. Just as soon as I'd recover from one thing, something new would pop up. Every time I thought I had it all together again, something new would come unglued. You know what I mean? In the midst of all the craziness, I tried to remain cool, calm, and collected. But inside of me, a volcano of uncontrollable emotions was surging up and erupting. And sometimes in the middle of the day, I felt like exploding in a fit of frustration. Or in the middle of the night, I would wake up crying out to God, where are you? Have you forgotten about me? I thought you loved me. Why is all this happening to me? And God would reply in God's calm and cool way, I've got you covered. It's all under control, and you know that. I do, I retorted. Somehow it doesn't feel like it. All hell is breaking loose in my life, and you say you've got it all under control. You call this controlled? It feels like any moment with all the pressures that I'm going through, my life will self-destruct. Why is all this happening to me? Again, God would quietly say, Cynthia, you know that it's not just happening to you. You know that because of the original sin that's in the world, 
And because of all that's happening through the evil, that the creation that I originally created good is now groaning as a woman in the pain of childbirth, waiting to be delivered from its bondage to decay. You know that not only creation, but all persons, especially Christians, are groaning also because of the suffering that is inherent in life. You know that in this world we shall have troubles. Jesus made that quite clear, but he also said, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You're right, God. I do know that. We all know that suffering and pain and frustration that goes along with them are all a part of life. And we know that life isn't easy. As a matter of fact, sometimes life can be downright hard. There are times in our lives when it seems that the darkness will never end. The trials won't stop coming. The frustrations won't stop growing. And the tears just won't stop flowing. But we also know that God works together in all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. We know that, don't we? How many times we have read, heard, or quoted this verse and its promise? But isn't it interesting how we can read here or even quote the promises of God to comfort, encourage, and give all of us blessed assurance and then yet fail to claim its promise in our lives so that we can live victoriously? Why do we continually go through these emotional ups and downs every time some new trouble comes in our lives? When Paul wrote this promise, an affirmation of the sovereignty and providence of our God to the saints in Rome. He wrote it as a part of a powerful letter in which he makes clear our position as persons in Christ. This eighth chapter of Romans is for Paul the Christian's declaration of freedom. In it, he affirms four freedoms that we experience, that we are privileged to have as Christians. Paul begins this chapter by declaring that we are free from condemnation. Didn't you hear it when I read it? Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus we have been set free from the law of sin and death. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, those of us who have accepted him as our personal Lord and Savior have been forgiven of our sins and set free from the guilt and shame of our past deeds and even the penalty of sin, death. We are free from condemnation. We have been justified, declared righteous. Once we were sinners, persons who were guilty, but God in God's love and grace has now made us righteous. We have been made right with God and reconciled. No condemnation. Nobody can tell us, I remember what you did 10 years ago. It's forgiven, it's forgotten, it's over. No condemnation. Paul goes on to say that not only are, do we, are we free from condemnation, but we are also free from any obligation to live according to the flesh. Romans 8.12 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have no obligation." We have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. 
Once we were powerless, helplessly, hopelessly enslaved to do whatever our sinful nature, our flesh desired and demanded. But now we live no longer according to the flesh. We have been set free not only from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin in our lives. There is no obligation to live according to the sinful nature. Because the Spirit of Christ lives in us. It's the Spirit that helps us to say no to those things that displease God. It's the Spirit that helps us to make the right decisions and the right choices. It's the Spirit that helps us to do the right thing. Being in Christ sets us free from condemnation and from obligation to sin, but it also sets us free from frustration the frustration that comes from the trials and troubles of life. Freedom from frustration is as real as freedom from condemnation and no obligation to sin. It is in, the lives, in our lives as Christians. Just as we have victory over sin and death, we have victory over frustration and those things that cause us to be frustrated. I think some of us believe that as long as we are in the world experiencing pain and suffering, that frustration is to be a natural part of our lives. Not so. Frustration is a choice. You can choose to be frustrated or not. Frustration is the tension, the anxiety, the feelings of helplessness and hopelessness that we feel when we aren't sure what is happening to us, why it is happening, and what the outcome will be. Frustration happens when we are all alone and feel that no one cares that we are in the situation we find ourselves in. We feel frustrated when we feel we have no control over what's happening in our lives. It's frustrating, you know, when you or someone else you love is addicted, has cancer, AIDS, or is HIV positive. It's frustrating watching your children continually make dumb decisions, seemingly wasting or ruining their lives when you've invested so much in them. On the other hand, it's frustrating dealing with parents who are usually unreasonable and won't hear another perspective. It's frustrating, isn't it, dealing with the aging process, not being as vital or as virile as you used to be having to deal with physical and emotional challenges that only a few years ago you didn't even think about. It's frustrating when you lose your job and you're not sure where your next check is coming from. You're not sure whether or not you're even going to be able to get another job given your age, your experience, or the circumstances of your removal. It's frustrating being single and living alone when you want to be married. Living alone, cooking and cleaning for one, renting movies, popping popcorn for one, taking out the trash, bringing in the groceries and mail for one. On the other hand, some of y'all are frustrated because you're married and you want to be single. It's always greener on the other side. Frustration comes when you're not sure what's happening to you and it seems like everything is out of control. You try to pray, but you don't even know what to say. When you manage to get a few words out, it feels like it only goes to the top of the ceiling. But Paul says that even when we don't know what to pray, the spirit that lives in us is interceding for us, speaking in words that we cannot understand. You see, the, we may not understand what's happening in our lives, but the Holy Spirit does. And the spirit knows what to pray for because the 
Spirit also knows the will of God for our lives. And when we can't pray, when you've got the Spirit living in you, the Spirit is praying on your behalf. We may not know what's happening to us and why. We may not know what to say to God and what to pray for. But we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, when Paul wrote this verse, he wasn't engaging in some endeavor to impress people with his fortitude. Paul was writing out of his own personal experience of pain and suffering. Paul was intimately acquainted with pain and suffering. He was no stranger to challenges. But notice that Paul doesn't take this occasion to chronicle his challenges to show us how life, awful life has been for him. Sometimes, some of us become so obsessed with what we've gone through or what we're going through that we fail to recognize or remember that our experiences may have some redemptive purpose for us. Paul, in this instance, is focusing not on the pain but on the gain. In all things, everything, anything, God works for the good of those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. This experience of God working in everything for our good is for those who love God, and it is for a purpose. To love God is to be in personal relationship with God. To love God is to have responded to God's irresistible love for us because 1 John 4.19 says we love God because God first loved us. Having responded to God's love, we love God with all of our hearts, or we're supposed to, all of our mind, soul, and strength. To love God is to know God, to know that God is all-knowing, to know that God is all-powerful, to know that God only wants the best for us. Loving God is trusting God and accepting God's will for our lives. It's saying to God, I'm yours. Do whatever you want to do with me. Have your way in my life. When you love God and trust God, then you know that nothing can happen in your life that God does not permit and God does not intend to use for your benefit and for God's glory. God has a wonderful plan for each of our lives. We have been called according to God's purpose. God's plan, God's scheme, God's design for, us, for each of us ultimately is to be like Jesus Christ. Verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom God predestined, God also called. And he, those who called, he also justified. And those God justified, he also glorified. When God created us, God made us in his image and likeness. But because of sin, the image and likeness of God in us has been marred. Before the creation, God knew that this would happen, so God put a plan in place because God knew that we weren't going to be able to reclaim our creation in our own strength alone. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Jesus is the express image, the exact representation of God in the flesh. Jesus came to earth to give us a perfect example 
of what God created us to be. Then he died on the cross, as I said earlier, to set us free from sin and to help us recover the image of God in us. Before we were created, before we were born, God loved us. God loved us so much that he decided, he predetermined that all those who came to know him through his son, Jesus Christ, he would justify and then he would one day glorify. To be glorified is to ultimately be like Jesus. First John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, in the meantime, in the between time, this is important. We are in process. God is working out God's purpose in our lives. And guess what? God is using all the things that frustrate us, that hurt us, that humiliate us, that disappoint us, to shape and mold us and change us and transform us into the very image of Christ. Like sandpaper on rough edges, like buffing stones on calloused corners, like brillo on stained places, God is changing us. No need to be frustrated now that you know what's happening. We have the victory. We are to live in hope. God is working it out. God has us covered. God has our back. God has everything under his control. God is changing us, transforming us. We are diamonds in the rough. Remember how diamonds are made? From a lump of coal that undergoes intense pressure? Remember, too, that a pearl is formed in an oyster from a grain of sand that causes irritation in the oyster. And gold is purified. All of the dross, all of the impurities are taken out through intense fire. A diamond, a pearl, gold, take your pick, whatever you want to be. God is transforming you. Let me share with you in closing the last frustration that is given to us, or excuse me, freedom that is given to us in this text. Freedom from separation. No separation. Often when we go through challenges in our lives, the most difficult part is hanging in there, particularly when we feel all alone and no one cares. There are times when we feel deserted, and the reality is sometimes we are. Friends and family members may not always understand and know how to support us when we're going through difficult times. It's when we feel deserted that we hurt the most. But we can rest assured that in Christ we have freedom from separation. That is how this chapter ends. Go back and read the entire chapter sometime, won't you? Paul asks the question and then masterfully gives the answer to it to bring us sweet assurance as we go through our trials. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And we know that. Amen.